Welcome to Click, Treat, Repeat. This is a horse-focused podcast discussing positive reinforcement training, equine management and welfare, and other horse-related topics. So let's get started. Um, Somebody was talking about how in the summer when there's a lot of flies, it can be hard to tell if a tail swish is stress-related or if it's um, just from flies in general. I feel like that's another one where you have to look at other parts of the body because when I was working with my horses last outside, which has been a while because our weather's been awful, (laughs) but there was a lot of flies and they were both tail swishing pretty much the entire time, but the rest of their body language looked pretty calm and relaxed. So I would say in that case, it was just flies and not necessarily from stress or pain. Yeah, that makes sense. I think, yeah, like you said, looking at the other parts of the body is probably the way to really figure that out. It sucks that all of these are like, well, it depends. <laughs> I know it'd be <laughs> nice if there was like a good answer to give, but it's just kind of depends on the situation. I mean, I don't know. I think almost all stress signals could not be stress signals if, you know, given like a certain situation. Like there's some that are more clearly stressed than others, but I do think it's all pretty situational. So it's really hard. Like you can say in most or a lot of situations, this would be a stress signal, but I, I don't really think it's possible to say like in 100% of situations it would be. Right, exactly. And I think it even just depends on the individual sometimes or who they're interacting with. Like you said, they might be nervous about someone coming out for a massage if they don't know them. Like that's that's a situation they don't deal with normally. So In that case, it could be stress or it could just be the massage feels good. And it really depends on everything. Mm -hmm. I agree. And another question that I wanted to touch on was, why would a horse not show communication signals at all? I actually had some notes on that one. Good. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Um, I have two quotes. I think. Oh no, it's just one long one. I have one quote from Horse Behavior Exposed by Abigail Hogg. And it says, unlike dogs, horses do not squeal when hurt. If horses get into a dispute, one will simply get out of the way when he has enough and when he has had enough. Just because a horse accepts something does not mean that he is not suffering. And basically that's learned helplessness. They might shut down or act stoic. And beyond that, horses are prey animals. So they're going to try to hide their pain to not be a target for predators. That's just kind of their natural instinct, I guess. Yeah, I think that is spot on. I mean, I immediately thought of learned helplessness when I saw that question. And I also think even like sometimes they could be physically prevented from it, like especially when riding, if they have certain types of equipment on um, that could prevent them from being able to really express what they're feeling. Yeah, that's a good point too. Or like even... If a style doesn't fit, they might not move forward. That could be a form of shutting down because even if you're kicking them or whipping them or trying to get them to move forward with force, if they're not moving forward, there's probably something else going on that they can't express it. Yeah. And I think that that, you know, can relate back to the Olympics conversation too, because a lot of people say, and we're saying about the Olympics, but also just in general say that Like if a horse doesn't want to do something, a horse won't do it. But that's just not true um, because like, you know, we've mentioned when horses are in a state of learned helplessness, they often will 
just kind of learn that they have to do what's being asked and that there's no real way of showing what they're feeling or expressing that it hurts or isn't right. So they just kind of have to do what's being asked and kind of shut down during it. So I definitely think that that's kind of what that, that kind of relates to that conversation of saying that the horse wouldn't do it if they didn't want to. Yeah, I've heard that a lot back when I was riding pretty regularly that like, oh, you're not hurting the horse if they didn't want to do it, they would just buck you off or things like that. And I don't really think that's necessarily true. <laughs> I think that can be a result of a horse not wanting to do something, but I don't think they normally go to that extreme. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. And I think that, you know, Saint Boy was kind of sh showing that he didn't want to do it. And, you know, that's really great, but not all horses have the, um, you know, personality and feel safe to, to show that if they've experienced a lot of escalating pressure that isn't being released and they aren't being listened to and they, you know, fall into a state of learned helplessness. So, I mean, I do think it's good that St. Boy was expressing himself, but not all horses can do that. I'm sure there were other horses that were competing that were mentally in a similar place to St. Boy or potentially even a worse place of not wanting to be there and not wanting to do those jumps, but felt that they had to and couldn't express themselves. Yeah, I know with human trauma, when people are in that situation shut down, they'll usually kind of try to put themselves in a different situation mentally so they're not having to go through those emotions and deal with what's happening and I do wonder if horses do something similar yeah I definitely wouldn't be surprised I know Coco was um in like a certain type of learned helplessness where when pressure was used on her she just stopped and would not go like no matter what I mean I would swing the rope at her as hard as I possibly could. I would hit her with the rope. I would, you know, jump at her and do crazy stuff to try to get her to move. And she just wouldn't move. She couldn't be lunged. Like, I just couldn't do it. Like, no matter what I did to her, she would not move. Um, and I had never really encountered a horse like that because most horses that I've seen, you know, if you're hitting them pretty hard with the rope, they're going to move their butt. Even if they don't take off running, they're at least going to move a little bit. But she would just really plant her feet and stay in place. So that was a really interesting experience for me and why I ultimately stopped using negative reinforcement, um, or at least one of the reasons why, because it just did not work for her based on whatever past experiences she had. And so I do think that's probably some type of trauma she had where she learned, like, no matter what, even if I move, I'm not going to stop getting hit. I'm not going to stop getting this um, pressure put on me. So why bother? Like, I'm just going to stand here and take it, basically. Yeah, Wonder was really similar, but he would sometimes be more reactive and other times shut down. It was kind of hard to tell what version of him I was going to get that day. But regardless, he never was able to do what I was asking when I was using pressure. So I think we're similar in the reason we started positive reinforcement. But yeah, it's hard to, I don't know, figure out what they're thinking and work with it if you don't know what else to do. Yeah, it definitely is. And I mean, I would be kind of embarrassed because, I mean, I would be at the barn trying to lunge my horse and people would be watching and she just wouldn't. So it was really weird. But then under saddle, she was more reactive. Like she didn't need to be kicked at all. Like you just 
you know, barely touch her with your heels and she would take off. So that was kind of an interesting contrast. And I'm not sure why she was like that, but that was definitely strange. That's really interesting. With Wonder, it was like, he wasn't really reactive on your saddle, but the only way he'd really move forward at all is if you had a whip. And even back then I was against using whips. So I just got stuck standing there, not doing anything most of the time. <laughs> but, but that did kind of open my eyes and make me think about what was really going on in his mind. Yeah, it's interesting to think about what could be going on in their mind. But I feel like I never truly understood Coco's like, I don't know how she felt about those things, but I tried not to really, you know, use them with her as much as I could, especially in the last several years. So I think it's okay that I never really learned fully how she felt about it, but I definitely think there was trauma there and probably trauma for Wonder too. Yeah, I think so for sure. And he was actually a show horse for a while, so I don't really know if I want to know what had happened to him. <laughs> yeah, Coco was also a show horse for a while and she had the, um, the white spot on her back near her withers that I'm pretty sure came from improper saddle fit too. So she was probably dealing with a lot of kind of uncomfortable stuff going on. I mean, that that spot could be from something else, but I feel like it's most likely from improper saddle fit. Yeah, I would guess so too. I mean, it could be something else, like you said, but knowing her history, I would I would guess that that's probably what it was. Yeah, because Tiny has that spot too, and his is not from improper saddle fit, although he did used to do driving, so it could be from that. Yeah, I don't know anything about harness fitting, but yeah. <laughs> there's a chance it could be that too. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea. I have not done that ever, and I don't think Tiny's done it in probably like 15 years or more, so. But yeah, I guess um, another question I feel like we focus a lot on talking about like stress signals and uh, another one where it really varies on the horse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can't get away from that answer, but like with Wonder and Phoenix, they both normally have a dropped head. I think that's pretty standard across all horses or most horses. Uh, I'll often see a droopy lip. Their lip will be super relaxed to the point where I can even see their bottom teeth sometimes. <laughs> they look, <laughs> that's it's very cute. cute. Yeah. Um, even just how they move, you can tell when a horse is more stiff versus when they're loose and relaxed. And that looseness is something you definitely want to look for. The cocked back hoof is one that's kind of, it can be either, but I do see that a lot with mine too, when they're just hanging out in the pasture together. Yeah, I think those are all really good ones. I mean, similar to what you said, I would just look for kind of softness, like you know, soft nostrils that aren't flared, soft ears, soft eyes, just kind of like a soft expression. Like I didn't really want to be seeing tension or wrinkles in the face or like a clenched jaw. I don't want to be seeing that. Um, I think in general, like just not showing what we know to be stress signals also is like, you know, positive if they're just kind of calm and not looking wrinkled or tense. That's kind of a a pretty good sign. But I do think, like you said, it depends on the horse and everybody should kind of get used to their horse's individual body language and how their horse expresses themselves. Um, because I know with Coco, she always had a little bit of a wrinkled face and a tense expression. And I don't know if that could be due to in general, she had chronic pain just because of 
you know, she was old, she had laminitis, she had Cushing's, she had a tendon injury, like all sorts of issues. It could just be from the chronic pain or um, I'm not entirely sure because even once we got her feeling, you know, really good and, you know, she didn't really seem like she would be in pain. She always had a little bit of a tense expression. So I just kind of had to be aware of that with her and like take it individually because like it's not something to not take seriously with her but like for example in a training session or something if I saw the tense face I wouldn't immediately be like okay she you know is showing me a sign because she always kind of had that expression yeah and I think it's important to recognize too that you can actually accidentally reinforce expressions like both of mine normally have their ears back when they're trotting or cantering and I'm working on trying to get that to go away, but <laughs> I did reinforce it originally because I taught it with them following a target, but I didn't ever teach them that there's a difference between following the target and trying to touch it. So <laughs> they got frustrated by trying to chase it around and then naturally their ears pinned and that became part of the behavior even without the target present. So that's something that's really important to recognize too. Oh, yeah, that's definitely true. Adele always makes sure to talk about that, like talk about um, reinforcing as they're following the target before they touch the target so that you're not making them too frustrated and not encouraging them to kind of have that negative body language and just like negative feeling towards it. So I have tried to do that and I think it's helped, but um, I do see like targeting can definitely be a behavior that could cause frustration if you don't like reinforce that's exact right time yeah and that's another reason it's important to look at the whole horse and really everything in the antecedent arrangement like everything in the pasture everything that's happened during the day like it's not always black and white unfortunately it makes it really complicated sometimes yeah it really does um the difference between calming signals and displacement behaviors which like isn't really a huge difference and I could be misunderstanding it but from my understanding it seems that calming signals are sort of like, like a set group of signals. Like when you see, I mean, it doesn't have to be set different horses can show different ones, but they're generally like, you know, a certain behavior that horses show um, in order to really stress in themselves and to signal to other people that they want to kind of avoid conflict and to help like maintain social balance and relationships. Whereas a displacement behavior is like an entirely different behavior where you kind of are removing yourself from the environment altogether, like kind of just doing something else, like for example, rolling or um, like sniffing or stirring up the ground or something like that, where you're sort of like averting your attention completely to a different place. But I do think there could be overlap there. So I don't know, that's kind of like, I have trouble sometimes like seeing the difference between like different types of signals like calming signals displacement behaviors stress signals like all those things yeah I feel like they all do overlap quite a bit and that does make it tricky (laughs) but I think of calming signals I think almost more of like appeasement behaviors they're trying to tell you that they're not a threat they're not going to hurt you whatever whatever you want to say and with displacement I, I think more of like like you said trying to kind of divert their attention somewhere else and get out of the situation but I think there can be overlap. And I think there are also things that are one or the other. Like I talked to you a little bit about stereotypical behaviors when we were talking. Oh, yeah. And I think that's normally more of a displacement behavior. It's not typically a calming sign. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense and that helps clarify it for me a little bit too, even though it's not necessarily something that can be super clear since there is so much overlap. Um, and then I guess like stress signals would just be more like severe things like bucking, kicking or threatening to kick, biting or threatening to bite, things like that that are kind of like a higher escalation of the tension. Um, like I guess yeah. would come after the calming signals and the displacement behaviors probably. In the same book, Force Behavior Exposed, there's like an entire list of things that aren't recognized as stress signals usually. And a lot of them I feel like are pretty obvious, like uh, pawing and stall kicking are in there. I feel like that's one that people should at least recognize. Yeah, um, you would think. <laughs> right. <laughs> excessive whinnying is on there, tooth grinding, excessive drinking, uh, high activity level or constant movement. These are all things that I feel like should at least be addressed to some degree, even if they're not recognized as a stress behavior in the moment. Mm -hmm. But like the ones that are more recognized on this list, at least, are things that are pretty obvious or just really inconvenient to the handler, like uh, blanket biting or tearing, mm -hmm. aggression towards humans, kicking, cribbing, stall weaving. Like all those things I think are things that are more inconvenient to the owner. And that's probably why they get more attention, unfortunately. Yeah, you're probably right about that. I also noticed that one thing that I guess I was reading was more frequent urination and defecation can be a stress signal, which I didn't know. I could definitely see that being true because with trailing the horses, which thankfully I don't have to do very often, they both do go to the bathroom before and after they're in the trailer and sometimes even a second time while they're driving it gets a lot way more than you would see just out in the pasture wow that's interesting yeah i just never really noticed that but it does make sense especially now that you mentioned the trailer i really have like done very little trailering ever i mean i took coco to a fun show once so we did a little show and then i took her to trail ride once and I moved barns twice, and that was the only time that I've ever trailered a horse. So it was like, you know, pretty infrequent. And um, also the trips were extremely short. They would be like, I don't know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. I think the longest one was between my second to last barn and the last barn I had her at. It was like 45 minutes, and that was like by far the longest that I had ever trailered her. But she's actually originally from Georgia, so at some point she at least did the ride from Georgia to North Carolina. But yeah 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 i think trailering can definitely point that one out because i think most horses will go poop before or while they're on the trailer mm -hmm. but that's also partially just natural instinct because they're they're traveling they're nervous about it regardless of how well they're trained i think mm -hmm. that makes a lot of sense i'm trying to think if i had really any more questions or like major things um to talk about do you have any other like big things i asked one specific thing because it's a big stress signal for wonder but uh, i asked about what it means if a horse rubs their head on you or throws their head at you because when i was still using a lot of pressure and release negative reinforcement based training he would very often like actually physically move me with his head trying to rub it on me and I got told pretty often that it was dominance or being aggressive or disrespectful. And I needed to show him who was boss basically. And 
I never followed through with that because thankfully at the time I recognized it as like a fear or stress behavior, but I'm curious if that's something anyone else has experienced too. Yeah, that's interesting. I haven't really experienced that with any of my horses, but um, a horse that I previously was working with for like a short period, I did notice that with him and he in general is known kind of to be a pretty mouthy horse and just kind of like rubs on a lot of things too. Like they call him like a puppy dog because he's always rubbing on things and um, stuff like that. And he is trained with negative reinforcement and um, he would kind of rub on me a lot. And, you know, the trainer would always remind me like, hey, don't let him rub on you. And so I do think it's commonly believed that it is like, you know, a sign of them trying to be dominant or them trying to get in your space. And I also do get how it can be uncomfortable or um, potentially harmful if they're like, you know, rubbing on you really hard and gonna like push you over or um, hurt you in some way. But in general, I I don't at all think that it's a sign of dominance or anything like that. Like you said, I think it's pretty clearly um, a type of stress signal where they're they're trying to, communicate with you about something not being quite right so um, I think it's something that a lot of people misunderstand and I haven't really seen it discussed much in books or anything although I haven't read you know a ton of books on this topic yeah I think there's one exception to it probably not being a stress signal and that's when you take off a fly mask or halter oh yeah (laughs) because he will rub on you then too but I don't think it's I think he's just itchy because I'll scratch him and he leans into it and wiggles his lip and whatever but in a training setting, I don't usually take that as just being itchy or yeah. any of the other misconceptions. I think in that case, it normally is a stress signal or maybe they're confused in some way. Like there's something going on that's not just, mm-hmm. oh, let me get scratches from you. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I know when I take off the fly masks at work, they all rub their heads against their hay net. And I'm like, oh, that doesn't look comfortable, but like I'm sure it itches it. <laughs> right. I'm trying to think if there are any like kind of uncommon things that my horses will do. Um, I know a lot of the time when I'm grooming Mimi, she will groom me back. I'm not sure if that's what she's doing or if it could be some type of stress. Um, Like she'll kind of bite at my shoulder or sometimes like my upper neck and like ear or not upper neck, like the back of my neck and ear. Um, And she doesn't hurt me or bite really. It's just sort of like a little scratching. And so I'm not always sure whether to take that as like oh she's being sweet and grooming me because I'm grooming her or if it's like she is displaying some type of stress with that because she also does bite at um the fence and it's a metal fence not a good thing to bite on um so that can be a stress thing but I'm just not sure and she does tend to do it also when I like see her again after a while like when I went to New York I was gone for I think like about 10 days. And then when I came back, she was doing that to me a lot. So like, it could be like a, an affection thing. I'm not sure. Cause she is like a pretty, you know, physically affectionate horse. I feel like, like she likes to, you know, groom on other horses and stuff like that. So I'm not sure, but that, that's always been interesting to me. I never really thought of that being a stress behavior, but I think now that you think, or now that you talk about it, it probably could be in some cases, but with wonder he grooms me back all the time if I find the best itchy spots and I think in that case it is actually just grooming back I think it's a friendly behavior but with phoenix sometimes if I give him some scratches he'll actually like bite at you while he's grooming you and I don't know if he just 
does that because he's poorly socialized or if it's actually like hey quit doing that like I can't really figure it out with him but that's that's another one it's just it depends on the case it's yeah it's really interesting how different horses will kind of react to the same things in different ways and it's like um are you like feeling the same thing and just reacting in different ways or are you like experiencing this in different ways it's hard to tell but Phoenix especially it's hard to tell because he's always been super mouthy so I can't always tell if it's like he's feeling stressed or scared or in pain or if it's just him actually being a younger playful horse mm -hmm. it's really really challenging to try to decipher what he's trying to tell me yeah no that's that's fair I kind of feel that with Mimi too just because she is like you know, like I mentioned, she always frantically eats the grass and she will sometimes bite on the metal fence and like things that are pretty clearly stress behaviors. So like with those things also going on fairly regularly, I'm like, yeah, the grooming thing probably could also be a stress behavior, but it also might not. I'm, not, I'm just not sure what to think of it, but um, I just try to pay attention, yeah. like try to listen to what she's telling me when I can. So what? Phoenix, I think sometimes it could be boredom too, because he's such a smart horse and he's like very busy minded. Like he reminds me of the stereotypical border collie dog. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's what I think of with him. <laughs> so in a past Barney border that they had some wood fence and he would constantly chew on it, but it was a smaller pasture with a lot less enrichment because I didn't know that much then. So it's like, I don't know if it was him being bored or if it was stress or it could have been nutrition he didn't have a very good diet at that point yet it's like there's just so many factors for every behavior a horse can show you that it's it's hard yeah there really are a lot of factors um so I guess if you don't have anything else major I kind of wanted to wrap it up by talking about like what should you do if you see your horse like exhibiting a lot of calming signals or stress signals um and you aren't really sure why like what are some things you can work on to try to like improve your horses maybe environment or the way you handle them so that they're less stressed personally i think diet is like top of the list diet and hoof care oh, yeah. you want to make sure there's no pain going on <laughs> and phoenix really showed me that because he's insulin resistant so he had a lot of stress behaviors when I first got him, but I changed his diet and some of those things still exist. And I don't know if they're maybe habit or something, but a lot of it went away or is significantly less. So I think diet is really a key factor there, but there's a lot of important things. Oh yeah. I think diet is definitely one of the biggest ones. And I mean, it definitely depends on the individual horse, like all of these things. Um, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think in terms of training, just like making sure you take a break if you see a lot of stress signals, like you can maybe take the horse to hand graze or put them, you know, back in their pasture for a few minutes or give them hay or something like that, just so they can take a minute and calm down and then, you know, maybe revisit what you're trying to do and take it in smaller steps. and. Um, let the horse kind of determine the speed that you're going with the training. I think that like, if you're seeing a lot of stress during training, like especially with positive reinforcement training, that's probably um, a good way to do it. Now, if you're like doing certain things like, you know, punishing the horse and things like that, that can also probably increase the tension and stress that the horse is going to feel around you. So just making sure that you have that 
good relationship with the horse where they have a positive association with you and they first of all can trust you to display you know behaviors and not have to shut down around you but also to get to the point where they don't feel like they need to display those behaviors because you're providing them with like a good environment and setting them up for success and having positive training sessions i just think like you know all those things are important but first you do have to have the good management like with the good diet and you know a good turnout space where they can have freedom and socialize with other horses so there's just really a lot to it but i think like you know starting in small steps and if you do see that stress just kind of taking a step back and letting the horse rest is probably like a good place to start. Yeah, I agree with all of that. I think it's really important to give the smaller signs and less severe body language function so that they don't have to escalate because you don't want a horse that just keeps getting louder and louder and louder. You want to catch it the second they have whale eye or the second their mouth tenses or like anything that's more minor that isn't going to hurt you you want to give that function and pay attention to it yeah i agree completely i mean it's been shown that the horse can't really learn under stress either so even just in terms of like functionality and effectiveness of the training um like the hippocampus of the horse doesn't function as well and that causes reduced memory and learning so like if your horse is experiencing a lot of stress and showing those signs they're not gonna even learn what you want them to learn so while it's definitely an issue of welfare it's also just like it's not going to be effective training either if you're um, dealing with a horse that is really stressed and exhibiting those signals so i think you know from every standpoint it's really important to take those signals pretty seriously yeah for sure and i think even if you use negative reinforcement or are more punishment based breaking down those behaviors to really small pieces is going to be key to avoiding that stress and making sure they're actually taking in everything you're teaching them. Because like you said, they can't learn very well in a high stress environment. And I think that's true with people too. So I think basically a lot of the things we, we think and feel, we need to think about it with them too. It's not the exact same, but there are a lot of similarities for sure. Yeah, definitely so. And I think it can, in general just make it a lot safer too like for us and for them like i just feel a lot safer since i've been doing positive reinforcement and um i don't know i just feel like i'm listening more to the horse and you don't need to be doing positive reinforcement to listen more to the horse but i do think in general it's kind of like a lot of people who use positive reinforcement are also the ones who are learning about body language and things like that so i think it can really help a lot because even if you aren't riding um i think like a decent percentage of accidents i think almost like a fourth of accidents that happen with horses happen on the ground so it still you know can be a risk but i think that knowing the body language really really mitigates that risk because like you said they're not going to get to like the you know big stress signals like kicking you or something if you are able to listen to their more subtle signs yeah and i mean management is key really but you also have to pay attention to the body language, even the small stuff. I think that stuff gets overlooked and that's where issues start to come up more seriously where the horse or you are in danger. Yeah, definitely so. All right, well, to be honest, I don't really have anything else to say. Is there any last comments that you have on this topic? I have some other notes on like stereotypical behaviors and 
other stuff like that but I think that'll go in the next episode because it's already been an hour <laughs> okay <laughs> I think we've got enough <laughs> maybe we can do I like an we episode. Have enough. <laughs> maybe we can do an episode just on stereotypical behaviors honestly <laughs> probably could I mean there's a lot out there yeah we could combine it with something else but I think we covered a lot of interesting stuff so I think it's good yeah I think so too I think we got all the things that people asked about so that's good i hope you enjoyed this episode of click treat repeat feel free to check us out on instagram at click treat repeat pod you can find jen at genuine equine and myself at bonafide.bt we upload new episodes every monday and hope to see you then happy training